Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. Ah, springtime. So fresh and exciting. It's the season of love. And then summer. Warm and sizzling. Rising passions. Hot, hot, hot. Suddenly, there's a chill in the air. The weather's changing. Leaves are falling. What's happening to our love? I'm freezing. Is our love gone forever? Now, you've got to ask yourself, what season are you in in your marriage? Are things warm and sizzling with your spouse, or are you feeling just a little bit chilly right now? Today on Focus on the Family, we'll explore how you can navigate these different seasons and grow a stronger marriage as a result. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, I remember uh, how it felt when Gene and I fell in love. At fir- you know, at first I was like, I'm going to try to do this life single. And then I met Jean and went, wow, I think she's the one I want to marry. It was that quick. So I, my speedometer went from zero to 120 pretty fast. And uh, just those feelings and, you know, wow, I can't get enough of talking with her late mm-hmm. into the night. I remember she worked at a vet clinic. I would bring her dinner. Uh, from and I was living ninety miles away. That was quite that's a dinner commitment. Run. <laughs> but whatever it took, that's what I was yeah. expressing to her. And I think she obviously got the message that I was really interested. <laughs> and thankfully, she said yes. Uh, but you know, like the weather, marriages do go through seasons, and we've had our seasons. And some are filled with excitement and warmth, kind of like summer and spring, while others can be chilly and mundane seasons, like winter and fall. But how we manage those seasons determines whether or not we grow and become better as a couple, which Mm -hmm. is the goal. And I know everyone's going to benefit from our conversation today with Deborah Fileta. She and her husband, John, have lived through the ups and downs of marriage, and Deborah has helped many couples in her counseling practice walk through these seasons as well. And as you mentioned, she is a counselor and a blogger, a podcaster, an author. Um, she hosts the podcast Love and Relationships with Deborah Faleda, and uh, together she and John have four children. Uh, we're going to hear about her book today called Love in Every Season, Understanding the Four Stages of Every Healthy Relationship. And you can find that at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Deborah, welcome back to Focus. Thank you. It's so good to be back. Yeah, thank you for coming all the way from Pennsylvania. That's quite a trek. It is. It is quite a trek, but it was worth it. Good. Especially you are a mother of a three-month-old. I know. You and your husband, John. That's great news, this isn't it? This is our it? first time to leave him, and it was a little difficult, but once oh. you separate, you know, you're good to go. And your other kids are 10, 8, and 5. Is that right? 10, 8, and 5. Yeah. All right. So they're almost there. They're kicking in to help with the little one, they right? They are. I have three big helpers this mm-hmm. time. Oh, that's so. great. Well, listen, before we get into the four seasons, I'm wondering how did John and you meet and fall in love since I kind of poured my gene story out. What's your story? Yeah. Well, we didn't go from zero to 120 like you did. (laughs) Well, I wasn't in the, I was thinking, okay, Lord, I'll live my life single if that's what you want me to do. And then boom, I met Gene and went, okay, Lord, is this good? Yeah. (laughs) You know, John and I met at a conference up in Boston and um, we developed a friendship very quickly. And for me, it was 
a while until I knew that he was the person I wanted to marry. Ah, so you had to simmer a little bit there. I had to let it simmer. I had to watch the seasons go by. For him, though, he had a feeling right away when he met me that I want to marry this girl. But what he says is he also had to let the seasons go by because seasons in a relationship reveal a lot. Hmm. You know, it's not just about what you feel. It's about what you see as time passes. Well, obviously, that concept was beginning to bubble in you. Uh, You didn't write the book right after being married. But go ahead and define for us what the seasons of marriage are. I, I love the fact that God is so plainly seen. If yes, we just stop and look, seasons of life, how he is like our father, right? He is our father. And unfortunately, he's the father of a lot of teenagers, meaning us, yeah. people that rebel. But the point of it is, is that nature itself and God's nature specifically does show us the very nature and character of God, right? Right. Exactly. And just as in nature, we see four different seasons. We pass through four seasons, especially for those of us who live in places like Pennsylvania. We see every season and it looks so different you see the beautiful colors of spring Mm. it's a beautiful season and then you move into this season of summer when things start to get hot right and you start shedding your layers because it's warm and you're going to the beach and enjoying the heat of summer and you go into the colors of fall and the 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 true colors of the trees start to shine through and then all the way into the season of winter when things start to kind of cool off and When you think about it, it is the perfect backdrop to relationships. As a licensed counselor, you know, in my practice, the analogy of the seasons was just so clear in the relationships that I worked with of people go from spring to summer to fall and winter, all in one relationship, and then they repeat, you know? But but in there, too, and that's the question I wanted to ask, is those seasons, uh, you know, they A, they're not always chronological, they're and not. B, they don't match, obviously, the tilt of the earth uh, in marriage. Right. But the point is they just describe how marriage flows. Right. But some seasons can be years in length and maybe months and maybe even a week or a day, I would assume. Yeah, they don't know. They don't happen at the same time. They don't look the same for each couple. But the beauty is that each season has the power to reveal something about your relationship, about you. Each season has the power to help you make or break your relationship depending on how you choose to navigate that season. And that's why they're so important for us to recognize. If we're not aware of them, we can't take advantage of them. Another aspect, and this is all groundwork, and we will get to the definition of the seasons and start to talk about them practically in marriage. But regardless of what season of marriage we're in, it's critical for us to identify unhealthy patterns of our own behavior. And in fact, you outlined three personality types of people who uh, give too much, what are they? Well, before we get into that, I think it's important to back up and explain that in the season of spring, one of the defining moments is the growth. Spring is a season of growth. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the time in your relationship when things begin to grow and stretch and expand. But you can't have growth without give and take, give and take, right? And that's where some people get stuck. And these personalities really make you get stuck if you're not careful because we've got people on one side who give too much and then we've got people on the other side who give too little and if you've got one of those people in your relationship or maybe both it's going to inhibit 
how you grow. When you look at humanity, though, I would think that that is the issue. I mean, the Lord is even instructing us to love our neighbor as ourselves. I think that kind of fits in that space of a person who, because of how they grew up or the, you know, the things that they learned, they either are givers or takers, right. another way to say that, emotionally. Right. Uh, so describe, go ahead and describe those types again so we fully understand that. Yeah. You know, on one side of the spectrum, you have someone who gives too much. And I think before we can just simply say, well, stop giving too much. You know, that's it, it's easy to say that. Well, just stop giving too much. But you have to get to the root of why a person gives too much in order to help them stop giving too much. What, so when, about, what about the person, the Christian, who says, well, it's godly to be on that side of the equation. I give even when it hurts to give. Right. I think some people... Uh, misunderstand and they view um, selflessness as passivity. They kind of mistake the two. They're being passive, but they actually think they're being selfless. And you brought up the scripture just now that says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. I think Jesus could have said, love your neighbor more than you love yourself. Love your neighbor, but don't love yourself. Mm -hmm. But the command is clear, love your neighbor as you love yourself. There's an equality there. To me, that represents an important give and take. Mm -hmm. And so why do people give too much? Well, there's many different reasons, but sometimes, you know, because of how you were raised, your family of origin, maybe you grew up in a family where you were kind of the one that was keeping the peace. And so you grow up with chaos and your job is to control the chaos. So you become the rescuer. I'm going to save everybody. That's my job. That's my role. And you take that role into your romantic relationships. You give too much because you're rescuing people. And maybe you even engage in unhealthy relationships or maybe you're a people pleaser. You grow up in a family or in experiences where you want everyone to be happy. You're trying to control the emotional atmosphere. And then in your romantic relationships, you become someone that pleases people. Or maybe you're insecure. Maybe you grow up sort of feeling this insecurity underlying and you get your value from the relationships that you engage in. So you become a person who goes into romantic relationships feeling insecure and feeling that you have to give and give and give and give in order to be loved. Mm -hmm. uh, let's get to a practical story. There's uh, one in your book about a woman you counseled who struggled with trust issues. I think so many women, you know, trust is a big deal. Um, and for women particularly, uh, that is perhaps even top of the list. She had the trust issues because of how her dad treated her mom, and I, I'm sure you can give us kind of the top level of what was going on there and what developed into trust concerns for this patient of yours. Right. When, when you work with somebody who has a past history of watching infidelity or affairs in their parents' marriage, and that kind of becomes the baseline or norm for them. And that's kind of where this woman was, seeing unhealthy patterns in her parents' relationship starting to then affect her belief about men and relationships and can they really be trusted. So on the opposite end of the spectrum, she goes into a relationship giving too little. Not giving too much, but giving too little because she's afraid to trust. She's protecting herself. She's protecting her heart. She's protecting her emotions. No matter what this guy did to prove his trustworthiness, she was struggling with trust because of her past wounds and her past baggage. What does a what does a person do in that context if you can hey, someone hearing this right now, that is me. That's what I do. Uh, what are some things that she can do today that might help her in a better direction? 
ultimately, the more healed we are from our past wounds, the more we can thrive in our present. And when we're struggling in the present, many times it's a sign that there's some past wounds that need to be healed. And I think as a counselor, I will tell people the key is to differentiate the voices of my past versus the voices of God and and the present. Because sometimes our past speaks so much louder than the voice of God's spirit in our present, those past things that we've experienced. And if we don't get to the root and begin healing them, they're going to continue affecting our present. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. This is Jim Daly inviting you to join us in Dallas-Fort Worth for Focus on the Family Celebrate Life Live experience at the American Airlines Center on Saturday, August 28th. This live event will feature inspirational pro-life speakers to encourage you in the pro-life movement. Join us for Focus on the Family Celebrate Life Live experience in Dallas-Fort Worth. Visit FocusOnTheFamily.com slash C-Life. Oh, hey, Mike. Got here as soon as I could. What's going on, man? Hey, I just wanted to give you an update on my marriage. Is it good news? Yeah. Our marriage is going great right now. I couldn't be happier. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. It's like a solid 5 out of 10. (laughs) Having a marriage that's just okay isn't where couples really want to live. Give yourself and your spouse an all-inclusive weekend where you'll slow your pace and focus on each other. Get more details at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Deborah, let's dive into spring as the first of the season descriptions. You identify it as the season of attraction. I think that's, you know, when everybody is coupling up, whether it's the birds or the, yeah. the people. Uh, you've got a great story about when you and John, I think you were holding hands for the first time. Tell us about that. Yeah, you know, spring is the season when affection is high, emotions are, you know, really intense. That's kind of how you define that season, usually in the beginning of a relationship. And so that's the importance of the season of spring. It's the season of blossoming and blooming of affection and emotion. And it's the season of growth. It's the season of planting good seeds Mm. and uprooting weeds, the things that we don't want to see in our relationship. So in nature and in relationships, the season of spring is really important. Yeah, that's a great description. You've identified something called the four laws of attraction. Explain what those are. Attraction is multifaceted. I think when we think of the word attraction, we automatically assume it's physical attraction. How attracted am I to someone? But You know, attraction is four layers. It's not just one thing. There's physical attraction, but there's also personal attraction. How do our personalities mesh? There's mental and emotional attraction. You know, when you can you talk about your feelings and ideas and opinions and have those conversations? And then there's spiritual attraction, or you're drawn to somebody because of the relationship with Jesus. And but we in marriage know that. Physical attraction is one of the only things that wanes 
as time passes because we get older. We have wrinkles. Things start to sag. <laughs> but everything else increases when you've got strong spiritual attraction and mm. mental, emotional attraction, personal attraction. So really, that's what we've got to be fueling in yeah. our marriage relationships. And I think in human relationships, I think it's fair to say that that physical attraction is kind of the gateway to the relationship. Usually two people are seeing each other and you're having thoughts of, wow, she's really pretty or he's really handsome or whatever it might be. But it usually is in that category. And it's a short like you say, short-lived thing, because then you're moving to emotional connection, attractiveness that way, spiritual attractiveness. But sometimes we discount, I think in the Christian community particularly, we discount the purpose of physical attraction. And the world does it the other way. It lingers there. It stays on physical attraction and tries to build a relationship simply on physical attraction. And that's, that's a very flimsy part of the relationship laws, correct? Yeah. You know, it is important to be physically attracted to somebody, but at the same time, we've got to keep it into proper perspective. I know plenty of people who are physically attracted to somebody and then they get to know them and the physical attraction disappears, mm -hmm. you know, because the personality is just overwhelming. But then the opposite happens when sometimes maybe you don't feel totally attracted to somebody, but then you see all of the other qualities and characteristics mm -hmm. and the attract the physical attraction also increases. That's why it's important for us to understand that attraction is multifaceted. It is not just one thing. The, the definition of attraction is the desire to move towards somebody, kind of like a magnet. You're attracted to them. And when you have these components, it really keeps your relationship strong. Mm. You know, one of the uh, things that I observe, certainly through the shelter in place and the pandemic that we've come through, it's interesting how busyness and obligations and schedule and all those things take you away from the very things that allow you to do some of this intimacy work right. in these four areas. So what about the couple that feels like, you know, spiritually they're not connecting? What can they do differently? You know, I think first and foremost, we have to take a good assessment of how we're each doing spiritually, standing alone. Because That's not me giving my wife a score or my wife giving me a score. Right. Are you saying, you're saying for yourself, for how yourself. are you doing? For yourself. You got to stop and look at your own walk with the Lord. Mm -hmm. Before you desire it in your marriage, you've got to take inventory of how you're doing standing alone mm -hmm. because spiritual intimacy doesn't just happen. It's the overflow of your heart for Christ working together. You're the overflow of your heart, the overflow of your spouse's heart. If you look at it kind of like a fountain, what's overflowing from us, that's what relational spiritual intimacy looks like. So that's where we have to begin. It's not by nagging your spouse to do devotions with you more or nagging them to pray with you more, but beginning to set that example in your own life and inviting them on that journey with you. What about that frustration? Um, you know, I'll just try to play the role of the, of the girlfriend, you know, where the wife is saying, I am there, but my husband just isn't interested in spiritual things. He's not responding to my nudges and my leanings. Um, how can she, I guess, get some peace in her life in that area, even if her husband isn't there quite yet? I mean, do you simply go to the prayer closet? Do you nudge gently. You said nagging. Nagging can be a very overt mm -hmm. operation, but what are some things to that for that wife who she's there, she's done the self-assessment. I'm doing pretty well. I just wish my husband were there with me. 
I think sometimes in marriage, um, especially because we've been taught about our roles in marriage, I think oftentimes women feel that they're not allowed to take the lead with spiritual conversations and spiritual intimacy. But I always encourage a woman, if you feel like you are strong in that area, then allow God to use you in that area. Take the lead in your relationship of moving your marriage to the Lord. So pray out loud for your husband. Ask him, how can I be praying for you? Maybe even suggest a time that you could sit down and pray. Um, Suggest a time where you could sit down and read God's word together. I think sometimes in our hesitancy to lead the way, we become passive and we don't do anything, spiritually speaking, in our relationship. So I say if you're at a good place, um, take advantage of that. Invite your husband into the process. And most of the time, eventually they will follow suit. So I think it's a beautiful thing. And if it's something they're unwilling to do, you continue bringing it before the Lord. You continue modeling it in your own personal life. And trust that the Lord is working where you can't work. Exactly what Scripture says to do, actually. Uh, Deborah, moving to summer, and we're going to cover spring we've covered. We're going to do summer, and then we'll have you back next time. We'll talk about uh, fall and winter. Uh, But moving to summer, you give the example of how building emotional connection as a couple is like a spider web. This Mm -hmm. was really interesting to me, and you talked about the strength of the spider web. Why is that a good analogy for us? Well, spider webs are something we see often in summer, and summer is the season when things get hot, right? Summer is that season of developing intimacy in a relationship and really having to work at that intimacy. And one of the key components is emotional intimacy. When you look at a spider's web, there's so many tiny little strings connecting it together. And that's kind of how I view emotional intimacy in marriage. It's not just one thing. It's a bunch of tiny little strings. A spider's web looks so fragile, but really it is strong. It is stronger than the material used for a bulletproof vest. That's amazing. That just goes to show you that little thread. And that's kind of how I see emotional connection in marriage. It's a bunch of tiny little strings from physical connection to emotional connection to spiritual connection, things that you're working on to continue connecting those strings to your spouse. In fact, you tried to make an emotional connection with your husband, John. I thought this was extraordinary. I was giving you applause when I read this in the book. Describe what happened. Well, when John and I were dating, he was doing some really uh, intellectual research at Harvard Medical School. And to be frank, it was boring. (laughs) But because I was so in love with him, I decided I'm going to read up on what he's doing. I want to learn. I want this to be another string of emotional connection that ties us together. So I read up on his research and I remember talking to him about it one day and he was shocked. He's like, you've really read my research? This is amazing. You know, (laughs) but here's the thing that wasn't dating. And somewhere along the way, we stopped doing that. Mm. And that's where we have to be intentional about building those strings. Just the other day, John's getting really into chess these days. He's like really trying to train to to get better at his chess game. And it's not something I'm very interested in. But the other day I asked him to kind of teach me how to play and help me get a little bit better because I want to build the emotional strings in our relationship. And he does the same. There's things that he's absolutely not interested in by default, but he chooses to become interested in those things because he wants to build another string Mm that ties us together. 
uh, and you know what, John? Here's a heads up with my boys. You teach them chess, and then eventually they start beating you. Yes, they will. <laughs> it's a very humbling experience. And that is my plan. <laughs> I will eventually get good enough. That makes it even tougher when your spouse is beating you. Oh, no. But uh, it's fun. It's good to see. You You have a story about glass blowing. Again, another great illustration in this category. But uh, you and John went to this glass blowing class I, I don't know if I would have the patience for that, but tell us what happened. You know, when we talk about building connection with your spouse, a big part of it is that spiritual connection. And this is where it came in. John and I went to a glass blowing class, um, <laughs> something that he has always enjoyed and wanted to try. And it was amazing when they put the fire on the glass, it turns to putty. It's 2000 degrees Fahrenheit. It just turns to putty and you can shape it however you want. And it just reminded me in marriage, you know, when the Lord sometimes puts us in a, in a hard place or a place of fire, it's because he's shaping us and molding us and helping us to kind of fit our marriage, to, to become better so that our relationship becomes better. You know, maybe that's a good place to end here on day one, Deborah, is this concept where when you're stuck, what is something you can do? There's so much suffering in silence, even in Christian marriages. If a person is hearing this today saying, okay, I think we've got some issues, what can they do? Well, like you said, the first step is to acknowledge it, you know, to say we're struggling. I think sometimes we're afraid to acknowledge it. Nobody wants to come face to face with the fact that they're struggling, so they just keep pressing on. Right. We just keep going. Without stopping to really get help. And so call those phone lines, get plugged in with a counselor, um, start getting the work of becoming healthy while standing alone, even if your spouse isn't willing to join you, because as you begin to change, it will begin to change the dynamic of the marriage as well. Absolutely. And of course, we always want to say reach out to your church the pastors in your church to see if they can address the issue and help you in that way too. That's the front line. So let me say, Deborah, this has been really good, entertaining, but very helpful and practical on what we can do to strengthen our seasons of marriage. And let's come back, like I said, next time and talk about fall and winter, probably the more difficult areas, I'm assuming, of the seasons of marriage. And uh, turning to you, the listener, you know, I'd want to encourage you to get a copy of this great book, Love in Every Season, and you and your spouse will inevitably walk through all four seasons in your marriage, maybe multiple ones at the same time. I know I can attest to that. Gene and I have had great seasons of spring and summer, and we've had some fall and winter as well. I think that's true for you and yeah, Dana. Absolutely true, yeah. And so uh, get in touch with us. And one of the fun ways, and I like to say fun ways, because as you partner with us, we can help you. And I would love to send you a copy of Deborah's great book if you can send us a gift of any amount. Or even better, if you can join us monthly. That's how Gene and I know. That's how John mm -hmm. and Dina support yeah. Focus. Uh, become a monthly uh, donor here at Focus, and we'll send you a copy of the book as our way of saying thank you for standing in the gap for these other uh, couples. But if you can't afford it, we'll get it to you. Um, you know, we believe in the content so much that Deborah has created. We want you to have this tool because we know it'll help you. Just call us and we'll trust others will cover the cost of that. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459. Or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast to donate and get your copy of Love in Every Season. Deborah, again, thanks for being with us, and we'll come back next time and keep going, okay? Sounds good. 
And once again, thank you for joining us today for Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. On behalf of Jim and the entire team here, I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we continue the conversation with Deborah and once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned. Whenever I bring up anything serious, my spouse just wants to argue. Every time we talk, it just seems like we don't know each other anymore. It's been months since we've had any kind of meaningful conversation. Well, maybe you can relate to those comments, the pain and the distance. Uh, The truth is every married couple faces trouble from time to time. And if you're finding yourself in a dry or a cold season of marriage, there is hope for the future. And today on Focus on the Family, we're going to be offering that hope with our guest, Deborah Faleda, um, for those who are struggling. She's going to be addressing the ups and downs of marriage. I think it'll be really informative for you. Uh, your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, we had a great conversation with Deborah last time about the spring and summer seasons of marriage, which are kind of the happier sides of it, right? Spring, everything's getting going, and we're coupling, and you know, it's it's a fun time in the marital relationship. And of course, summer, everything's intense and hot, as Deborah described. Emotions are high, and things feel good. And uh, today we're going to get to some of the more difficult aspects of fall and winter and what that means in the seasons of marriage. And I'm looking forward to it because I think this this area in particular, this is where we learn and we grow. This is where your tenacity and your stick to mm. is really important. You know, it, it, we can't live on emotions. We have to live on commitment, our commitment to Christ first and foremost, and then our commitment to our spouse and what that means to have a lifelong loving relationship. It's not always going to be the same electricity. I've been married almost 35 years. I get that. How long have you been married? Uh, 36 going on okay. more than that. Well, you're the pro then. Not so. really. <laughs> Just experience. But the point is, this is what it's about. Our marriages reflect the very character of God yeah. walking this earth. He created us male and female, and he encouraged us to leave our mothers and fathers and to cleave to one another, and that the two shall become one flesh. Mm-hmm. And it's the very image of God on this earth. And and preserving that marital relationship is one of the reasons that uh, we're so excited about the work being done at our Hope Restored Marriage Intensives. Uh, Jim, we, we talk about that a lot here because it's such an effective outreach to couples who are struggling. It is, and uh, it's got an over 80% success rate post two years. So it's one of the best things, I think, for married couples to come together and really dig into what their triggers are and what is causing their pain in their relationship. And I want to encourage people to call us, get more information about that. Remember that Focus on the Family is just a treasure trove of resources for you in marriage and parenting. So don't hold back. Give us a call. Yeah, and our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. We'd be happy to tell you more about Hope Restored and about the book that is the basis for our continued conversation with Deborah Faleda. It's called Love in Every Season, Understanding the Four Stages of Every Healthy Relationship. Deborah, welcome back to Focus. It's good to be here. <laughs> I so appreciate our conversation last time. And, and for those that are joining, we always want to kind of give a quick recap. We discussed the spring and summer seasons of marriage. You want to give us that quick recap for those who haven't joined. And remember, you can download uh, the app for your smartphone Mm -hmm. or come to the website and get that uh, program. 
Yeah, every relationship goes through four important stages, four important seasons. And it starts with the season of spring. Spring is when the emotions are high, things are blossoming, attraction is blooming. I smile at that. I love spring <laughs> it's a and great summer. Season. <laughs> it's a season of growth and give and take. And then we move into the season of summer. Summer is the season of intimacy, when things get hot. You know, physical intimacy, spiritual intimacy, emotional intimacy. And then we move into the season of fall, which we're going to talk about today. Well, let's get into it. I mean, you describe fall as that season where all the colors come out and mm. things are known. Fall <laughs> is when your true colors begin to shine through. All of a sudden, the green is gone. And there's other colors that you didn't know existed. All of a sudden, <laughs> you see your differences and there's challenges and you face conflict. It, it really is the season of conflict but also the season of communication, because that's how you get through the conflict is by healthy communication. You know, Deborah, as a counselor, and I always want to work this in because um, I can integrate my faith in Christ and helping people uh, in the mental health area. This isn't, if I break my femur, I go to an orthopedic surgeon to get it set and redone. When we have issues with mental health, um, the Christian community, we need to move toward uh, helping repair those things that are causing conflict or causing pain, right? Right. And some of those things are not just what's happening on the surface. Some of those w things are wounds or triggers from our past. Um, I worked with a man once who was, you know, responding very intensely every time his wife asked him to do something. And at the end of the day, when, when we dug deeper in counseling, it's because he grew up in a home where it was my way or the highway. And this conflict with his father, feeling like he wasn't good enough. And any time his wife made him feel that feeling by suggesting yeah. he do something differently, he would react without yeah. really knowing why. That's very good advice right there in your marriage. If something feels a little like your response is so disproportionate to my right. question, that usually is a flag, right? It's a red flag. Let right. me mention conflict. I think you have a quote from Les Parrott who said, conflict is the price we pay for a deeper level of intimacy. You know, what's interesting, I think, in human relationship, first with our marriages, is we don't see conflict that way as an opportunity to grow. Conflict is something to avoid, mm -hmm. potentially. Um, I like encouraging people to move toward conflict. I think we do learn a lot. And maybe conflict is too hard a word, but when you can put things on the table, so to speak, get things out of the darkness, yeah. where I think the enemy of our soul operates, he loves when you keep things in the dark because mm -hmm. he can work his mischief and all that. But when you, as a, especially a, a married couple, can bring these things into the light and say, I don't know why I'm reacting this way, but it feels terrible when you say it to me that way. What an awesome moment. Right. Yeah, we shouldn't fear conflict. We should embrace it because it really is the key to deeper intimacy. And and it's not conflict that's the problem. It's how we handle that conflict. I think some people are conflict avoiders because maybe in their past, conflict never brought um, healing. Conflict mm -hmm. never led to a resolution. But that's unhealthy conflict. So instead of avoiding conflict altogether, we have to learn to navigate it in a healthy way. What if you um, describe it this way? A person, you know, again, uh, let's say a wife, and it can be a husband as well. I, I get that. But let's just say a wife who feels like it, it costs me too much to raise, to get into conflict with my husband. So you're, you have this value proposition constantly. If I say this, then he responds with anger, whatever it might be. How do you move to a place to have the courage to get that out there so it could begin to uh, be dealt with? 
Well, so many people think that they're good at navigating conflict, but they're actually not, <laughs> you know, and that's kind of the problem. I may problem. be in that category. I don't know. It's something that I see even with women or men who say, well, when I tell my spouse something, this is their reaction. But what we have control over is only what we have control over in ourselves. We can't control how they react. So I, I really teach people things like I statements. I'm feeling hurt by this. You know, I need help in this area. I'm struggling rather than you did this and you're you need to work on that. And even if you say it gently, you need to work on this. That's not going to bring about the response that you want. But when you can learn to, to say what you need in a respectful way, things begin to change. I like the I statement in that case. It's rare to say we want I statements, but when you're yeah. struggling, an I statement is good. In fact, you, you have five conflict styles. So let's, let's cover those real quick. What are the five conflict styles? Well, it's important to understand your style, your bent when it comes to conflict. So there's the avoiders, the people who would prefer to run from conflict and not deal with it. Yeah. They just want to get away, you know? And then there's. And the... Just in that regard, I mean, for the person who's trying to self diagnose here, what's that family of origin look like? What have you faced that makes you an avoider? It could be different things for different people, but, you know, one, one example would be conflict that escalates to the point where it's uncomfortable, emotions are high, people are loud, maybe even someone's getting hurt, um, whether physically or emotionally. When you grow up in that environment, you better believe that your natural instinct is to run, run from for conflict cover. because it's not safe. Right. What's the second one? The second is the accommodators. They would rather take the blame. They're kind of passive. It's like, okay, okay, I'll just deal with it. You know, instead of being healthy, instead of assessing the roles of everyone involved, they're just going to accommodate as quickly as possible so that we can move on. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. When a woman discovers her husband's struggle with pornography, she needs a practical plan. The latest book from Focus on the Family, Aftershock, by professional counselor Joanne Condy, will help you through the seven steps of self-care, and you'll learn how to deal with the emotions involved in the discovery of your husband's addiction. Let Joanne Condy's timeless wisdom give you hope even while you're in your own season of Aftershock. Learn more about Aftershock at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash store. Good parents aren't perfect, and that's okay but there are ways you can grow every day. Focus on the Family's Seven Traits of Effective Parenting Assessment gives parents an honest look at their unique strengths, plus some areas they could use a little help. Every mom and dad can help raise the next generation of healthy, mature, and responsible children. And this assessment will help get you started. Take the assessment at focusonthefamily.com slash seven traits. That's focusonthefamily.com slash seven traits. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Yeah, and so that, that feels like a lose-lose kind of thing. You know, I wanted Mexican, you wanted uh, Italian, so we're settling for hamburgers. Right. Uh, ne neither of us gets what we <laughs> Sounds want. Sounds good enough for me. Not that that's, <laughs> right. that that's a real-life thing. I'm asking for a friend. You know, even though people <laughs> praise compromise, I think you're right. In the end, it's actually a lose-lose. You're, you're giving 50%. 
So you're losing 50% of the time. And I do think when you're stuck in a compromising role all the time, you might not have that much conflict, but you might not have that much satisfaction mm -hmm. either. You might harbor some bitterness. Right. That Probably the style of conflict, that one probably is the one that creates the most bitterness and resentment because you can't even feel like you can surface it because I agreed to compromise. <laughs> or so you stuck. end up keeping score. Right. You know, well, you did this this time and I it's my turn now. And it, it can actually lead to conflict. And that's why I really appreciate the next conflict style, which is the collaborative conflict style. It sounds so nice. It does. <laughs> Let's collaborate. This requires you to be assertive, to be able to say what you need with respect and to look for a solution where everybody feels like they won in the end. So it's not a lose-lose. It's mm -hmm. a win-win. How can we win in our marriage after this conversation? What is the best for our relationship? What is the best for our family? And you kind of have a team spirit with the collaborative approach. It's not about me or you. It's about what we're doing for the whole, what we're doing for us. That's good. The last one's competitive. Um, I, I would hope that a person that has a competitive spirit is not necessarily defined by this. Because <laughs> I do have a competitive spirit, but I'm not like my way or the highway. Right. And that's what you're kind of uh, saying, right? Well, the competitive approach is really defined by somebody who just wants to win at all costs, whether that comes yeah. with aggression, whether that comes with putting the other person down. They just want to win. They feel that their way is always the best. But of course, that leaves a lot of broken hearts in its path and just a lot of unhealthy behaviors come out of that approach. Deborah, finally, now we've covered last time, uh, spring and summer and we just finished fall, and these are all relevant and so good and such a great context for how to understand your marital relationship. Now we get to the tough one, winter. And you're talking to people from Colorado at the table here. I mean, winter <laughs> here brutal. gets really cold. I mean, 20 below zero and right. three feet of snow and 50 mile an hour winds. I mean, if we're using that description, I think those are the marriages that are right at the brink of divorce in that kind of weather description. Yeah. Um, what does the winter season of marriage look like? Well, you're right. When we think of winter, we do think of those intense, cold, frigid temperatures, especially when you're from Colorado, right? But I also want people to remember that winter doesn't always have to be as intense and obvious. There was a farmer in Australia and a unexpected frost that came a little bit early ended up killing over 90% of his crop. Mm. That reminds me of the frost that we sometimes experience in marriage. Winter is the beginning of that, the cooling down of those emotions. And I call it the frost of apathy. Mm. When you look at your marriage, you might not be fighting every day and having intense explosive arguments. But have you allowed yourself to feel the frost of apathy where you no longer care that much? It's not a big deal. You're not being as intentional. I think that can be just as dangerous as the frigid temperatures that sometimes we feel in winter. And that leads really to the next concept in the book and this idea of boundaries, that it's healthy to have boundaries. You're describing that early frost. I mean, that's a boundary. Uh, in nature, we see that. We see a transition from fall 
to winter. It's that first frost. What do those boundaries look like in marriage that we need to demarcate so that we don't go into danger zones? Yeah. Well, I think when it comes to boundaries, we have to look at the different aspects of the things we need to protect in our marriage. So um, emotional boundaries with the opposite sex, um, but we also need boundaries with our schedule. How many times do we feel so burnt out and stretched so thin? Like maybe we're not even close to having an extramarital affair, but we spend so much time on our phone or so much time on Netflix that we're neglecting the emotional needs of our spouse and our own emotional needs. You know, so these are the things that maybe they're not as intense and scary but they still cause damage in our marriage if we're not careful. Yeah. And again, I love that frost of apathy. Man, I'm, I'm, can I use that? Because sure. <laughs> You may. It just, it just captures it. I'm thinking, you know, I've said a few things about the wife that, you know, is feeling the trust issue. Let me turn to the husbands and use this analogy. I think that frost of apathy is really there for husbands. Because you, as a husband, if you don't feel like you're performing, if you're not doing the role correctly, according to the person you love, your wife, you can pull back emotionally because we're still little boys acting like little boys. I'm not performing for mom and dad. Right. And we just decide rather than to up the performance and meet the need, we just pull back and we shut down and we compartmentalize, which is what men do so well. Okay. Done with that box, put it away. And you just live watching news, weather, and sports, eating right. dinner, and going to bed. Right, exactly. And and I think the, the thing we need to remember is that we shouldn't fear winter. Because in nature, winter has very important roles to play. Winter, the cold of winter kills off disease and virus and infection huh. in, in the ground. You know, so that spring can come again. And when I look at the season of winter in a relationship, I see it as a time of identifying the things that we need to change. So if we want to get out of that frost, the first step is to identify the root cause. Where is this coming from? What do we need to work on? What are the problems that might be here for us to start um, discussing and bringing to the surface? And then we've got to discuss the problem. You can't just know it. You then have to discuss it with your partner. Hey, here's what I think is happening in our marriage. And how can we work on this together? How can we get to a better place? And then you come up with a plan. I think many times couples talk and discuss, and then they leave it at that. But we've got to come up with an action plan, just like anything else in your life that you want to change. If you want to lose weight, you come up with a plan or it's not going to happen. And marriage is just the same. If we want to get to spring, we've got to come up with a plan. John, uh, I'm not popping this question on you. Some people might hear this and say, why why would Jim do that? But we've talked about it and you were willing to share this about you and Dina have gone through kind of a winter experience. Describe that as a practical example of what some couples can go through. Well, let me say first that we've gone through a lot of winter experiences. I mean, there was a time when I was doing graduate school and I just wasn't around emotionally for her and there was a distance there. Uh, More recently, in the past few years, after 30 years of of being parents, half of that with a special needs child, and then some elderly parent issues, we found ourselves just kind of dividing and conquering all the different challenges in life. So we we just drifted. And um, you were so kind, and Focus was was gracious enough to allow me to go to Hope Restored. Uh, Dean and I went to Hope Restored, where we learned some of the things that you're talking about, Deborah. And we were able to go back and say, what what is that about? Because we both wanted out of winter, but we didn't have the ability to talk about it without 
hitting conflict, which never got resolved. Um, we had no emotional energy for each other. We, we were exhausted physically. And so that summer was a time of rebuilding and kind of coming out, but we're not there yet. We still have issues, but we at least have what you're talking about, Deborah. We have put it on the table. We've yeah. named it. We've understood kind of our patterns yeah. from before. We've understood the external things that have affected all that. And um, while we weren't headed toward divorce, we certainly are running away from it together in a much stronger way now. And I'm really grateful for that. Well, and I appreciate the vulnerability of that. I really yeah. do, John. It takes courage to say that. And it, what a great example that we have to, um, you know, deal with the stuff. Well, just last night I was telling Dina that we'd be having this conversation. And she said, well, we're, we're coming out of winter. And then she grabbed my arm and kind of leaned into me. And it was sort of like, oh, that's a springtime mm. moment. It was really nice. That's sweet. That's yeah. so sweet. And that's the beauty. And, and you know, you're setting the example, um, reminding people that, you shouldn't stay in winter. You know, I think it's too easy to stay in winter because it requires less work. Let's just stay here. Let's just be content. Let's just live our separate coexist, lives. Let's yeah. just coexist. But the beautiful thing about winter is it's not meant to be stayed in. It's meant to be passed through. And there is hope no matter what your relationship is going through right now, there is hope with God's help that spring can come again. You know, in that context, um, and for all of us, when we're looking at that, um, how do we seize an opportunity to smell the smell of spring again when we're living in winter? Uh, what can we do as a couple to maybe be courageous enough to, like John described, uh, Dina pulling him in with his arm? Um, you and John had that experience, too. Yeah, we've had many of those experiences. <laughs> you know, I think of even when he was in medical school, I'm working uh, many hours in residency, and I we have newborn babies, and I'm feeling postpartum depression. I mean, we've had seasons where everything just seems to happen at once. How do we bring spring back, though? That's the question. How do we begin to thaw the ground of winter and bring spring again? When I look at 1 Corinthians 13, I see a list of actions, behaviors, not just feelings, things that I'm supposed to do. And when I look at the season of spring, it's the season of planting good seeds. If I want spring to come again, I need to start planting good seeds again. I need to start taking those steps of action, even when I don't have the feelings to follow suit, even when the feelings aren't there to help me. I plant those seeds, those right decisions, those next steps in faith that the Lord is going to allow them to take root and begin sprouting healthy fruit in our life and in our marriage, and that spring can come again. Yeah, and I so appreciate that. That's the whole goal today. That's what we've been talking about today and last time, is how to recognize the season that you're in and how to uh, certainly move to the healthier places in your marriage. There's been so much great content yeah. in these two days, and your book, Deborah, is fantastic. Let me uh, ask this question. And, you know, I don't want to be the only one at the table not describing a winter season. I feel like I've skated through it pretty easily. But, uh, you know, Jean and I have had those times. I remember one time she said, I love you, but I don't like you right now. And, you know, of course, my response is, how could you not like me? <laughs> you can already see that as a counselor. I'm like, oh, are you kidding? Um, but, but there are those times, and we've got to seize this. And I, if I could, I just want to make, I don't even want to call it a pitch, but as Christians in this culture right now, 
the work that you do every day, Deborah, is so valid. I, I believe the work that we're doing at Focus in this area of marriage, what Greg and Aaron Smalley are doing, is so valid because we do need to stand out. The culture pulls at us. It tempts us to move into an area of destroying our marriages. And that's why the Christian divorce rate is as high as it is. Yeah. We have bought the lies of this world, and we've got to figure out ways, working with each other, and most importantly, with the Lord, to say, Lord, how can we honor you in a better way? And you know what? Plainly, it's selfishness when we do not. You're right. And we've got to put that aside as mm -hmm. the Christian believers who are to be the example in this world. And don't do it begrudgingly. Don't do it with bitterness. Do it with joy and happiness and desire. Say, I want that relationship with my spouse to be a model for others to look at. And then you got to go spin the web. Yeah. You got to do the work to yeah. lay it out there and create the strength, the tensile strength in your marriage to withstand the things that you've talked about. What do you think of all that? It's so true. I think sometimes we assume that just because we're Christians, we're going to be good at relationships <laughs> without any training, without any education, without any preparation. And then when the struggle comes, we're almost surprised by it instead of anticipating it and being prepared for it, winter is going to come. I mean, I'm not surprised when November, December rolls around and it's winter. And I think we have to have that same mentality to be prepared for winter, um, to have the tools that we need, to not be afraid to identify the problem and go to Hope Restored or go to counseling and share what's going on, um, just like we would with any other issue. You know, like you said earlier, when something's broken in the home, we call a plumber. We call an electrician. When something's broken in the marriage, we need to be willing and ready to call, to take that next step and begin the process of getting healing. Well, you've said it so well. And Deborah, thank you for your vulnerability. John, thank you for yours mm -hmm. too. And uh, I hope you will get in touch with us. Uh, don't feel like what you're experiencing is beyond uh, the pale for us to engage and to hopefully help you. There's nothing embarrassing. Uh, we have heard it all over 44 years of ministry, and uh, we're here for you. We want to be that backstop for your marriage. So if you're struggling, get in touch with us. And we can talk to you about Hope Restored. We can talk to you about a number of resources. We have a free uh, marriage assessment. Mm -hmm. It takes five to six minutes to complete. It'll show where you're doing well and some areas you need to think about, some areas to improve in. And uh, we'll even associate resources that'll help you do that. So we're here for you. Uh, don't be shy. Mm -hmm. Call us. Yeah, help is a phone call away, and our number is 800, the letter A, and the word family, 800-232-6459, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Also, uh, to mention Deborah's book again, uh, Love in Every Season, it's a great resource. I think you can hear that in the content of the program. Get a copy from us here at Focus on the Family. And when you do, you're helping ministry uh, happen. The great news is uh, last year alone, we've helped over 100,000 couples in a marital crisis. You can be a part of that. Either join as a monthly partner, a one-time gift. Um, it all goes to helping to strengthen other people's lives and marriages and their commitment to Christ. Yeah, there's generational impact when you donate to Focus on the Family today. And uh, when you make that monthly pledge or one-time gift of any amount to the ministry, we'll send a copy of Deborah's book as our way of saying thank you for partnering with us. 
Once again, our number, 800, the letter A in the word family, or you can donate and get the book at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. <music>